Welcome to the teaching ministry of Rev. Daryl Baker, pastor of Christian Faith Fellowship. Pastor Baker is fulfilling the call of God on his life to preach the Word of God without compromise. Raising up disciples who through faith in God will have a powerful impact on our world. May you be blessed through the message that Pastor Baker has to share with you today. May God's very best be yours. Romans 12, come on. We're going back to Romans 12. We are talking about thinking like God, thinking like God. This is all about renewal of the mind. A lot of Christians have heard about, been taught about renewing your mind. I love Claire brought it up. You know, one of the things that she's learned she would pass on is truly one of the most important truths after being born again is to renew your mind. You got to realize, as we're going to see today and talking about this further, that what we're simply doing is we're allowing the actual new person on the inside of us to begin to dominate on the outside, change this outward man, how we live. But I will promise you that takes a renewal of our minds to that new man on the inside. It's a constant ongoing process, but it's one that you continue to develop in and grow in as you do. And you become more and more and more like God because you start thinking like God. You and I have been told clearly that we have the mind of Christ in the New Testament. It actually refers to the fact that none of us have the right to tell God, obviously, what to do. It's not our position, but it goes on to say, but yet you have the mind of Christ. Meaning what? We can think like Him. And literally your thoughts, uh, really, more than anything else you do in a daily context of life, your thoughts are what really control more of what actually your outcome in life is than anything else. What you think, you're going to begin to believe. What you believe, you're going to speak. And what you speak and believe with your heart will come to pass, as we've talked about many times. Revelation chapter 12, I'm going to go straight to verse 2 today. We've covered, excuse me, Romans, sorry, Romans chapter 12. I'm going to go straight to verse 2 today. We've been looking at verses 1 and 2. I want to focus in on verse 2 today, what we've been talking about. Romans 12, 2 says, and do not be conformed. Say, do not. Do not, do not be conformed to what? This world. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Transformed how? By the renewing of your mind. That tells me and you that when we look at somebody who's in the world, doesn't know God, has not been born again, what they look like, how they live, what they sound like, the way they act, should not be how you and I look like, sound, or act. We should clearly be changed into the image of Christ in walking out what we now have as a child of God. But to do that takes a what? Mind renewal. The key actual words here in this verse of not being conformed to this world are transformed. How? By the renewing. Transformed by the renewing. Meaning, again, no transformation without a renewal of the mind. One translation says that you and I should look nothing like the world. It goes on to say, therefore, change the way you think. You and I are to change the way we think. Now, I've told you this already in a couple of previous sessions of this message. It's very important you think about what you think about. Right. You ever thought about what you think about right. on a daily basis? Take time to do it. Think about what you think about. Because if I'm not thinking in line with God, who God says I am, guess what I'm not going to do? Walk out what God says I have as a child of God. I won't see that transformation take place. And the reality is the more you get your mind renewed to the Word and the more you think like God, the more you live like God, the more the world sees God. 
The reason the world has such a lack of seeing God today is because there's not a lot of believers that will take their, their time to renew their minds and be transformed into that new image on the inside. So again, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That, he goes on to say, that you may prove something. Prove what? What is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God? I like to say it this way from the Greek rendering. If you renew your mind, you're going to prove or in other words, become living proof of what is the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. For you to become living proof of God, you got to have your mind renewed. So what are we really renewing our mind to? I'm going to tell you what. We're renewing our mind that actually we are now made in the image and likeness of God to the new man on the inside. Who are you now? Who are you now? The moment you got born again, you changed. Like Grayson said, you're a spirit, you have a soul, you live in a body. You're not a body, you're not even a soul. A lot of people talk about saving souls. Well, your soul needs to be saved. We're going to talk about that today. But that's not talking about the real you. You're not a soul, mind, will, and emotions. You are a spirit. And that spirit was brought into existence by God. That spirit's going to live for eternity. A lot of people say, well, you know, you want to accept God because you want to live forever. No, you're going to live forever. It's just determined based on your beliefs and what you put your faith in as to where that's going to be. But the reality is you're a brand new being. The Bible says you're a new creation. I love this. The Word of God says, I've been crucified with Christ. Say it, I have been crucified with Christ. Now, I love this. It goes on to say, therefore, I no longer live. Wait a minute, wait a minute. You no longer live? Aren't you here? Aren't you living? See, it's not talking about natural life. The I who no longer lives is the old spirit man because he died. I no longer live. You ready? It's now Christ who lives in me. Wait a minute. Who lives in you? Who lives in you? So you can live like God lives. It's now Christ who lives in you. And the life you now live, you're to live by faith in the Son of God, what He did for you. So you and I, the Bible goes on to tell us in uh, Corinthians that we are one spirit with the Lord. You got to realize that you already are who God wants you to be on the inside. Renewal of the mind is letting this man out. It's like he's caged up. Because of our soulish ways of thinking, our old way of thinking, our old way of seeing things. And God's saying, if you'll renew your mind, you'll let this new man out. And he'll literally change you on the outside. What will you look like, Jesus? What will you sound like, Jesus? What will you be doing? The works Jesus did. So literally, when you and I look at our life, how much of our life and action and deed is like Jesus? Where our lives are not in action and deed like Jesus, guess what we need to do? We need to change our thinking. We're not thinking like God does. Because as a man thinks, the Bible says, in his heart, so is he. So you and I got to realize that we can live like God. Aren't you glad? But that takes what? Thinking like God. So we have to be conformed from the world by being transformed through the renewing of our mind so we can become living proof of what is the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. Say this, renewing the mind. Listen to this carefully. Say it again, renewing the mind. Brings the God-like man out. When I say God-like man, we're not talking about male or female. We're talking about the person on the inside. See, you already have that person on the inside of you. That's who you are. The Bible tells us clearly that in the eyes of God, once born again, you're perfect. If you weren't, the Holy Spirit couldn't live in you. If you obviously were not already perfect as a spirit being, you couldn't go to heaven when your time comes or Jesus comes to get us. You and I realize that there's no way that would be possible had we not been made brand new. 
Because of sin, God could not continue to fellowship with the spirit of man. But thank God we've been cleansed of all that. So what we're simply trying to do is figure out who is this new guy on the inside? Who's this new me? What does he look like? What does he sound like? He or she, of course. What do they act like, etc.? So you and I are simply allowing this new God-like man to come to the forefront. But we don't do that without what? Renewal of the mind. Go to John 17. I want to go back to a prayer of Jesus's in the Gospels. In John 17. John 17, if you know of the four Gospels, is not in chronological order. It's kind of referring more to the aspect of the life of Jesus as much as relating to some things that obviously happened in his life. And one of those most powerful things that happened is John 17. John 17 was a prayer. The entire chapter of John 17 is a prayer. Who was it for? It was for those immediate disciples of his, but also it was for all of us. It was for all who would become born again through the gospel shared to those disciples that's now actually, of, of course, been passed down to us. How many think Jesus gets his prayers answered? Yes. So if we obviously line our hearts up with this, I'll guarantee you what, it will come to pass. It's like anything in relationship to what God has promised. If you just take a moment to think about prayer, how prayer works in relationship to Bible faith, and obviously walking in the light of that prayer. Let's say, for example, I've heard Brother Hagin say it many times. Let's say, for example, you have a, a family member or friend. You pray for them. They're, they're battling with some type of disease or sickness. You pray for them. Then you get to church, and then you go to church and tell everybody else to pray for them. How I many you know they're not in faith? That's right. I said, how I many you know they're not in faith? <clears throat> faith believes it receives when the manifestation comes. No, nope. faith believes it receives... When you pray, well, if I believed I've received, then in my view, I've already got it. Why would I need to go ask somebody else to pray? The only reason you would go ask somebody else is because you evidently haven't believed you've received it yet. Come on, somebody. Let's get in some absolutes for a minute, all right? Because I'm talking about bringing this new man out. Matthew 18, 19, Jesus said, say Jesus said, if any two of you on earth shall agree as touching anything they ask, Anything, it shall be done. Now, why do we not see things done? Well, evidently, we're not in agreement. Because Jesus doesn't lie. If two people will get in agreement about anything, it shall be done. Amen? I've prayed with a lot of people. I've prayed over a lot of people. I've prayed over a lot of different circumstances in people's lives. And I tell them, I don't have any problem believing the Bible. I don't have any problem praying God's promise with you. The problem isn't me believing for that if you're coming and asking me to agree. The issue is going to be whether you're going to stay in agreement or not. Now, if you'll agree and we agree with God, obviously we're walking in light of what God said. It'll happen because Jesus said so. If it doesn't happen, one of us wasn't agreeing. Because if we're both agreeing to what the Bible said, then it'll happen. Why? Because God said so. Well, that's the same truth about what we're talking about, about renewing the mind. Can I walk like Jesus? Yeah, you can because God said so. Jesus said the works he did, you can do also. Notice Jesus' prayer in John 17 about the very fact that once we get born again after he would die and be raised from the dead, notice what he actually prayed about us who would become born again. John 17, 20, at the latter part of this prayer, Jesus said, I do not pray for these alone. Who these alone? 
that immediate 11, we're going to say, because Judas, of course, even though, uh, you know, Jesus prayed for him, he betrayed him. He chose not to accept what God had for him. But the point again is, he says, I'm not praying for these alone, these immediate disciples of mine. Watch this. But also for those who will believe in me through their word. Now, you might not have heard them directly, of course, because you weren't here when they were on the planet. But you believe their word that's been passed down through generation after generation after generation. That word they preached has now been passed on to us through many generations of people preaching the gospel. Question. Jesus said, I don't pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. How many have believed in Jesus through that word? So this prayer is also for you. This prayer is also for you. Jesus is praying to the Father, 21. And in this prayer, he said, this is my prayer, Father, that they all may be one. They all may be one as you, Father, listen, are in me. In the same way that you're in me and I in you, they also may be one in who? In who? Say it out loud, please. That they may be one in us. Why? That the world may believe that you sent me. The moment you get born again, you become one spirit again with the Lord. Everything God is, you are. Everything God is, you are. Or that prayer didn't get answered. I'll read it again. I pray that they all may be one. How many think his prayer got answered for those who put their faith in him? I, listen, here's something about the Bible. Let me back up for just a second. Let's rewind. Let's rewind the tape for a minute. Let, let me explain something. If God said something, it's truth. It's absolute. Whether you agree with it or not doesn't make any difference as to that being truth. Right? Think about all the people who say, well, I don't believe in going to church. Does that make going to church any less the truth? Nope. Just means you don't believe it. Do we go by what you believe? I hope not. Many do. Right? Well, I don't believe in that tithing thing. Okay, you don't have to believe in tithing. But it doesn't make it any less truth. If God said it, it's the truth. It doesn't matter whether you believe it or not. So it doesn't matter whether you believe it or not. Now, I encourage you, if you'll get in agreement with God who said it's truth, you're going to get a whole lot more benefit out of life. By agreeing with God than not agreeing with God. Amen. Right? How many of you know people say today, well, God doesn't heal everybody. Let me help you. God's already provided healing for everybody. Or, or Acts 10, 38 is a lie. 1 Peter 2, 24 is a lie. Matthew 8, 17 is a lie. Isaiah 53, 4 and 5 is a lie. By his stripes you were healed. Acts 10, 38, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth who went about healing all. Right? He's the same yesterday, today, forever. He's still our physician. He still will heal all who come to him in faith. When people say, I don't believe God heals everybody, all you got to do is look at Jesus. And to answer that question, just say, what person that came to Jesus for healing in faith, did he ever say, it's not my will to heal you? He never did. Well, that was Jesus. Jesus said, you've seen me. You've seen the Father. So realize, you can say, I don't believe God heals everybody, but that don't mean he hasn't because he has. It's just your belief, but it doesn't change the truth. See, a lot of people live by selective belief, or what I want to say is selective obedience. Selective obedience. Selective obedience is still disobedience. If you choose what parts of Scripture you want to obey, but other parts you don't, you're still in disobedience. You're not walking in the light of the spiritual law God has for you to experience what he has for your life. Correct? 
Yes, no, maybe. So listen carefully. This is what he said. It's an absolute. Because a part of understanding scripture is, I don't pick and choose what I believe. If God said it, that's it. If God said it, the argument's over. If God said it, listen, there's no reason for me to even allow my mind to begin to reason about that. You didn't hear me. If God said it, there's no longer any reason for God. Excuse me, there's no longer any reason for my mind to reason about that. God said it. If God said I'm more than a conqueror, I don't care how I feel. I don't care what I see. I don't care what I experience in life. God said I'm more than a conqueror. If you want to walk as more than a conqueror, you believe what God said. But see, when you get selective on obedience, you get selective on what you believe. Did you hear me? If you start getting selected on what you obey, you'll get selective on what you believe. Because you've got to take the absolute uh, word of God, uh, the, excuse me, the, the word of God as absolute truth, period. I love a statement. It actually didn't come from Brother Hagin. I heard him say it many times. E.W. Kenyon, who knows where it originated from? God, I'm sure. E.W. Kenyon, who Brother Hagin gleaned a lot from, actually was one that he heard it from. If God said it, don't, don't, don't say this without meaning. If God said it, I believe it. That settles it. See, it's not, a, it's not just enough for, well, God said it, that settles it. Well, it is settled. But do you believe it? See, you got to get to this place where if God said it, I believe it. God's speaking here. God's speaking here. Jesus said, I am praying, Father, that they all may be one. That they all. Every believer, every person who receives the word that they have to share with them, that they all will become one. How? As you, Father, are in me and I in you. Meaning what? God's in you. You're one with God. Just like Jesus is one with the Father and the Father was one with God, guess who you're one with? You're one with God. You're one with Jesus. Come on, somebody. What are we trying to do? We're trying to bring that new you out. Trying to get them to be the dominant one. So he prayed that you would know that you are one just as the Father is one in him and he one in the Father, that they also may be one in us. That the world would know what? That the world would would then believe that you sent me. How would the world believe that God sent Jesus if we walk in oneness with him? They're going to see him. They're going to see him. If you walk one as you are with the Father in this life, if you walk one with Jesus as you are in context to this life, as you are with Jesus in this life, in this world, guess what they're going to see? They're not going to see you. <laughs> Preaching better already. You want a cow looking at a Newgate quote? You, you, you got to understand if you walk one with him in the earth, guess what they're going to see? They're going to see him. That's why Jesus said, because I'm one with the Father. They don't, they're not seeing me, they're seeing the Father. Notice the next verse. You still with me? 22, and the glory, the manifest presence of God. Glory is his manifest presence. The glory which you gave me, I have what? You've already got it. A lot of people are waiting for it to fall on them. No, 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 you've already got it. Renew your mind, you'll start walking in it. You're not walking in the manifest presence of God for one reason. If a believer is not walking in the manifest presence of God, there's one reason. There's only one reason. They haven't renewed their mind to let the new man out. Because they've already got it. I said they've already got it. He said again, verse 22, The glory which you gave me, Father, this is his prayer, I have given them. Say, I've got it. Why? That they may be one. 
that they may be one as we are one. Because if we walk in the manifest presence of God again, we're walking in oneness with God. Amen. Look at verse 23. I in them, I in them, and you in me. Tell your neighbor, he's in there now. I in them and you in me, that they may be made perfect in one. Perfect means complete. Yeah. See, you, you lack completeness until you're born again. Yeah. Our, our men are learning this in our study, the total man. God created you a three-part being. He wants that three-part being to function as one. Yeah. And the problem is when the fall came, our spirit having died influenced our soul in the context of the ways of the old Adamic fallen nature, which has affected our bodies as well. But the moment you got born again, your spirit became brand new. New creation in Christ. That spirit is one with God. That spirit is one with the Father. That spirit is one with Jesus. That spirit of yours has the glory of God in it. But we have a problem, Houston. We have a problem. The soul is still thinking the way it did before you got born again. The soul is still thinking of yourself from the outer person. The soul is still thinking of yourself as somebody who is not who really God says you are more than a conqueror or an overcomer. Your soul doesn't think that. Your soul thinks about all the experiences you've gone through life. Your soul thinks about all the stuff it's seen, all the stuff it's been taught, all the stuff it's been trained from the world's perspective. And your soul, if not renewed, will do what? It'll keep you from walking as a total being, total man. Because once you got born again, guess what you got? You got completeness. You were incomplete, not born again. You were incomplete because you no longer had a spirit made of God. You became complete when you got born again. Because now you got reunited with God. You were incomplete, not being born again. Why? God wasn't in your life. It's not anything of this life that completes you. It's God that does. Amen. Now, I'm not into the hole in the heart thing. And if you want to speak that to other people, that's fine. But here's my point. You're not complete without God, but you're not walking complete unless you allow that new man to influence the, the soul and to do what? To dominate the body. So I got to renew the mind to let the new man out. I mean, I wish it was different than that, that the old, that new man would just take control, but God didn't set it up that way on purpose. But you've got to understand, that's why I've got to renew my mind. I've got to let the new man out. Amen. Tell your neighbor, you need to let the new man out. Amen. Well, who's in the new man? God the Father's in there. Jesus the Son's in there. The glory of God's in there. The power of God's in there. What do I got to do? Renew my mind to that new person. Let him start coming out. So he says clearly again in verse 23, I in them... And you and me, that they may be made perfect or complete in one. They're now complete once again because they're one with you, Father. Wait a minute. Again, notice second time he states it. And the world may know. What is all this about? So the world will know. This isn't about you any longer. It's not about you. It's about the world. It's about reaching the world with our God. It's about our, our world knowing how good our God is. See, the moment you got born again, life was no longer to be lived about you. You know, when somebody tells me, well, I come to church, but I just don't get anything. I'm going to tell you why. Because life's all about you. I guarantee you, if, I, I can go sit in a Catholic church. If that priest will get up there and read from the Bible, I can get something from the Bible. I may not get something from his theology, his philosophy that's not biblical. But if he, but if he speaks the word, the word's got life in it. Amen. So when anybody says, well, I just can't receive anything anymore, I'm going to tell you why you don't receive anything anymore, because it's all about you. 
It's all about you getting what you want. It's all about you getting what you need to receive. If you, if you think life's all about having everything in the way that you want it, all your own flavors and likes and dislikes, etc., I guarantee you what, there's things about God you're not going to like. You know God still disciplines his children? Book of Hebrews, New Testament. You know it ain't fun? You know the Bible says there's no discipline from the Heavenly Father that is actually enjoyable for the time? But it produces what? It produces fruit. It produces spiritual fruit. It produces what? God-like life. So you got to understand something. You and I got to realize as a child of God, that new man's already in there. But if I don't fully agree with God, if I get selective on what I agree with, believe in, or don't believe in, if I'm going to take my own view of life's about me and what I want, what I don't want, guess what you're not going to do? You're not going to walk out what God has. Now, if you think life's all about you, I have a question. Is Jesus our model? That's about half of you. Is Jesus our model? Guess what Jesus said when he came? I didn't come to be served. I'm not here for you to serve me. I'm here to serve you. I tell you, there's a powerful promise. If you learn to start living your life to serve others instead of you, you won't be as offended as easily. You won't get your feelings hurt so much. Jesus came with this servant attitude. I'm here to serve you. Guess why you couldn't offend him? Because I ain't here for me. I'm here for you. Here to help you. That's the heart of the Father. So this is all about the world knowing something. Again, verse 23, I am praying this, Father, that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. How's the world going to know that God loves them the same way that he loves Jesus? How are they going to know? They're going to have to see God in you. They're going to have to see God in you. When they see God in you, they're going to know. Hey, guess what? God loves me as much as he loves Jesus. No different. No less. Can I get a better amen? So two times in these small amount of verses, he literally speaks again in verse 21 and in verse 23 that the world would know something. What is the world supposed to know? How good God is? What is the world supposed to know? How much God loves them? How are they going to know that when you start renewing your mind to the oneness of who you are in God and let God shine? Start living out who you are. Start living out who you are. Did Jesus go to church? Did Jesus miss church? Not according to Luke 4.13. Luke 4, thir- Luke 4.13 says, as his custom was, habit, routine. He was in the, in the church, in the synagogue on the Sabbath day. His routine. You know why? It was his dad's house. I'm so fed up with Christians saying, I don't need to go to church. Well, you don't really think you need to, but you really do. Well, Jesus wouldn't make me go to church. No, he ain't going to make you do nothing. He wouldn't even make you get saved. The church is for your benefit in the sense that you're going to be able to develop who you are and then help others. Can I get a better amen? Amen. So Jesus clearly didn't go to church for himself, did he? No, he went to church with people wanting to kill him. Guess what nobody here wants to do today? As far as I know, guess what nobody here wants to do today? Nobody wants to kill you. But yet we ditch church all the time. Why? Because it's about us. It's not about God. It's not about serving the Lord. It's not about growing up in God more. It's about us, about what I got to do, about my lifestyle, what I need to be busy about. Sure gets quiet when you preach like this. It's like Dr. Summerall said. He said, you know, if the lake's more important to you on a Sunday, if the golf course is more important, if your bed's more important, on and on he went. He said, I will promise you, you're not being ruled by the new spirit life inside you because your spirit wants to be in God's house. Your spirit wants to commune with God every chance it gets. So again, thank God we're already one. Say, I'm one. You're one with Jesus and you're one with who? The Father. 
Colossians chapter 3. What are we doing? Learning to let this new man, who you are, who is one with God out. So let's talk a little further again as we started to last week. A couple more verses today. Let's talk a little bit further then about this renewal of the mind, thinking like God thinks. So let's go back to our first point that we actually pointed out last week. How do we renew the mind? So remember this, the word to renew in the Greek language, the word renew also means renovation. To renovate. So we went over this last week. We talked about it even in relationship to what we know about the DIY shows today, you know. How they'll go into an old facility, old building, you know, and it just is shabby, torn down, really bad shape, whatever. And what's the first thing they do when they come into that place? They get a new plan. I said they get a new plan. They draw out on paper a brand new plan. Okay, so this wall looks like this now, but here's what it's going to look like when we get done. This bathroom looks like this now, but here's what it's going to look like when we get done. So they go into something that's old, that needs upgrading, that needs renovation, and they recognize what's got to come out by what? By what needs to go in. You listening? They recognize what needs to come out. How? By what the new image is of what it's to become, what's to go in. A lot of Christians don't recognize what needs to come out of their life because they're not seeing the new image of who's on the inside. They're not seeing this picture of who's already on the inside of them, and that's what's supposed to come out. So I have to realize that in the, pla- in the place of that image, I'm going to see things that got to be what? Taken out. We call it in the, in the days of what we live in, a DIY or, or you know, fixer-upper shows, whatever, they call it deconstruction. Meaning what? you got to tear out what's there so you can put new stuff in. A lot of Christians don't do this. And it's key because you got to understand, as we're going to talk about later, probably next week, some of these things you're trying to take out don't come out easy. Anybody ever had a DIY project you got into and all of a sudden you realize it wasn't quite as easy as I thought it would be? I guarantee you what, some of the things you get into your personal life with of dealing with stuff of old thoughts to get rid of them aren't going to come out as easy as you thought. They're strongholds. So watch this. Colossians 3 tells us this whole context of the importance of deconstruction or taking out what's there by what? Recognizing the new man that's on the inside. Changing our thought life. 3.1. If then you were raised with Christ, if you were, say amen. amen. What are you supposed to do? Seek those things which are above where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Meaning what? are supposed to have a whole new view about life. Whole new view about life. What's the view you're supposed to take on now? God's view. How does God see life? How does God see life lived? How does God see what's priority in life? Amen? Amen. Think about this. Any thought you have at all that brings about fear, any type of fear, and you respond to it and you react, on, react to it based on that fear was not God's thought That's right. and was not God's way. Amen. Think how many people are afraid of disease and sickness. Look how many got afraid of COVID. I'm going to tell you right now, if, you, if Jesus was on the planet today, COVID hits the planet. Do you think he's going to be walking around scared? No. Think he's going to be afraid to go to anybody? No. Leprosy was the most contagious disease of the day. He had no problem being around lepers. Right. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Well, that was Jesus. Who are you walking with? Right. Who are you one with? Jesus. So you think like God, you'll, you'll live like God. Amen. You won't have to mask up and boot. I, I was so opposed to this stuff, number one, because scientifically it was a lie. Number two, I'm not afraid of it. Now, if you're afraid of it, you might need to protect yourself somewhere in the natural. But if you're not afraid of it, why do you need to protect yourself from something you're not afraid of? If you've been redeemed from it, 
Think about this. Name a disease or name a sickness in the planet. Name one. I don't care. I don't mean like literally. Just think about it. Name one. Doesn't matter what it is. What if I can't fight in the, find it in the Bible? The Bible says you've been redeemed from all the curse of the law. When you go to Deuteronomy 28, 61, he lists a whole bunch of stuff in there before that that are part of the curse of the law. The curse of the law literally means curses that would come to them for not living up according to the law. But understand those curses. The law wasn't the curse. It was what would come because of that. But in those curses, he lists all kinds of disease and sicknesses. But even if you can't think of the context of your sickness and disease being found in the Bible, guess what he said in verse 61? And all sickness and all disease is not even listed in this book. is a part of the curse. Galatians 3.13 says you're redeemed from it. Why should I be afraid of any germ? Any sickness, any disease. Do you literally think Jesus would have masked up, gloved up, went to the grocery store, bought groceries? I'm not faulting anybody. Please hear my heart. I'm, not, I'm trying to help every believer that's listening to me that may have gone through this to come up to a whole nother higher level of living. That you, that you, could you see him bringing those, those, those uh, groceries home, washing them down and everything? I'm not faulting anybody that did that. I'm just telling you stuff that happened. You listening? Seriously, people driving cars today, they're by themselves. They got a mask on in their car. There's nobody with them. Come on. What are you going to get? Right. There's nobody with you. That's right. And I'm just here to tell you, folks, that God himself would not live that way. Why would we? Right. I'll tell you why. Because we don't know who we are. Amen. We need to change our way of thinking. See, God needs a people on this planet who's not afraid of the stuff on this planet. They're not afraid of the works of Satan. They're not afraid of the works of evil. If we're not afraid of them and people notice it, guess what they're seeing? They're seeing God. Because they're seeing the same way Jesus would have lived. They're they're seeing the same way of how God would live. There's not a thing on this planet God's afraid of. Why Why would we? Why would we be afraid of it? How did all this come? How did all this disease and sickness and evil and poverty and lack and germs and disease, how did it all come? How did it all come? Came through the fall, therefore it came by who? Who who brought it? No, who brought it into the world? Satan did. He's the one that brought it. Adam and Eve gave him the right to. But who brought it into the world? Satan did. I have a question for you. Why you, Why would you be afraid of Satan? Why would you be afraid of a defeated foe whom Jesus clearly defeated at Calvary? And declared it so for you, not for him. Jesus didn't need victory over him. He was no threat to him. Well, the moment you got born again, guess what? He's no longer a threat to you. So anything he brought is no longer a threat to you if you know that. If you have your mind renewed to the guy on the inside, this stuff is not a threat to me. Do we really believe Psalm 91? Do we really believe that no evil shall befall me? Do we really believe that no plague shall come near me? You do if, he's, if you've made him your refuge, your dwelling place. So, folks, you've got to realize this is why you've got to renew your mind to think like God thinks. Because if you do, all you're doing is you're bringing the real you out. And the real you has no fear of these things. Anything you actually make a decision again based on fear. Anything you make a decision on based on fear. You're acting upon a faith that is opposed to God. I'm going to say that again. This is so powerful. Anytime I make a decision based on fear, I'm acting in a faith that is opposed to God. Fear is a form of faith. Let me jump over to God's side for a minute. 
Because we just think faith only applies to God as it relates to what the Bible talks about. Faith, true, but you guess what? Fear is, it's a form of faith. Fear is a form of faith. So let's just quickly in our minds go to Hebrews 11.1. Faith, don't, don't turn there. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for. It is the evidence of things not seen. What is faith is? Faith is evidence. Say that. Now here's a simple way to say it. Faith is proof. Say faith is proof. So faith is proof. One word for evidence there is title deed. I talked to you about this on Wednesday night. It was in our last day's study we've been going over. And Wednesday night we talked about the importance of the fact that faith has a backbone. Right. A lot of Christians think they walk in faith. They have no backbone. They bow to the easiest things that come around them. They have no faith because if you had faith, you'd, I'll guarantee you what, you'd have backbone. You, you wouldn't bow down to anything of the enemy trying to take advantage of your life. Amen. You know better. Amen. I said you know better. Why did he give you authority over the, all these things if not to exercise it? What would be the purpose? What would be the purpose of giving you authority over all these things to trample them under your feet if not to exercise that authority and use it? He didn't need it. You did. I said you did. But you got it because you're one with him. So understand faith in God. Faith is the substance of things. What? So you got to start with hope. You don't start with faith. You got to start with hope. What's hope? Hope is an expectation. Confident, by the way. Bold expectation. Of good to come. Of good to come. God kind of hope. So my hope is based on what? What is my hope based on? God and what God said. I can have no hope and expectation of good to come. How many know God, James chapter 1, God is a God who only gives good things. There is no variation of shadow turning with him. James said it. All good gifts come from the Father above. All good gifts. So realize all that's good comes from God. Say it again. All that's good comes from God. That doesn't mean everything good in your life is of God. Some things you might classify as good may not be from God. If they are good and the context came from God, you're going to find them in the Bible. Amen. Amen. So understand this. You and I got to know that from God, all good things come. If we want to walk in what God has for us, we have to go to the word of God to base our hope upon what he said we have a right to. When I see what God said I have a right to, guess what I now have? Hope. I can begin to build hope in God to say, guess what? That's his promise for me. That's what he wants for me. Can I get it with hope alone? No, I cannot. I now must replace that hope with something. I must replace that hope with something. I start with hope, but then I got to replace it with something. What do I replace it with? Faith. Because faith now becomes what? The substance of what I hope for. So faith now takes the place of hope. Because faith says, I got it. See, hope says, I can have it. Faith then says, I got it, because God said it's already mine. Hope says, I can have it, because God said he, he paid the price for it. If I get faith in my heart, my faith now takes hold of it, and I say, now what? I've got it. So faith has replaced the hope that you had, and it's now the substance of what you hope for. It is the title deed, the evidence of things not seen. What is faith based on? Word of God. What's this here then? According to Hebrews 11.1, 1, this is the title deed. You may not see it in my life in the natural, but this says it's mine. And if this says it's mine and I believe it, all I got to do is start acting upon that word, believe that word, speak that word. And guess what? I will see it come to pass because this is the title deed that says I'm not going to get it. It says I already have it. I have a title deed to my car. If I showed you the title deed to my car, you couldn't see my car. You could say, well, you don't have a car. Title deed says I do. Well, I don't see it. Don't matter you don't see it. Title deed says I got it. It's legal. It says I own it, whether you believe it or not. This says I own it, whether you believe it or not. 
Don't matter what anybody else believes, it matter what you believe. Amen. You believe the title deed. Well, if you believe the title deed, you now have what? Faith. Yes. So understand the moment that you put faith in what God said you could hope for, and it replaces that hope. Guess what faith does? It goes to work. The Bible calls it a spiritual law. It actually calls it a servant. So the moment you get in faith, and like Matt taught, you can't get in faith and get out of faith. You got to stay in faith. So the moment I get in faith, guess what faith does? Faith begins to draw to me. Listen, faith begins to draw to me what is mine. Faith goes to work to bring to pass what God said is mine. Are you listening? Well, fear does the same thing. It's just faith in reverse. It's faith in something other than what God said. You know what worry is? If you've never learned this, I taught it Wednesday night, you need to get it down. Guess what worry is? Hope. It's a form of hope. When you worry, when you start talking about stuff that hasn't happened yet, guess what? That's like you talking about what God promised that hasn't happened yet. But when you worry, you're talking about something that hasn't happened yet, but it ain't good, it's negative. And guess what worry is? It's a form of hope. You're expecting this to happen. You listening? There's no way I can pay my bills. You're expecting that to happen. You're putting hope in something that hasn't happened yet. You listening? When that bill comes due, I don't know how I'm going to pay it. I just just don't know how I'm going to pay it. I don't see any way I'm going to pay it. You're actually putting hope in something that hasn't even happened yet. Because the bill hasn't come due yet. Well, you know, it's flu season. And I usually get the flu, so I'll probably get the flu. You're putting hope in something that hasn't even happened yet. You're putting hope in something that the devil wants to bring to pass in your life. And it causes you to begin to worry. The minute you get a little sniffle, there ain't no faith being released. There's worry being released. Well, there you go. And see, guess what actually attaches itself to worry? Fear. Because the moment you start worrying, fear rises. And when fear rises, it begins to go to work to bring that to you. But when hope in God rises and you go to the Word and you build faith in the Word and faith lays hold of that hope, guess what faith does? It goes to work to bring that to you. But you can't start in faith and get out. You got to stay in faith. The fight of faith is for you to deal with all your stupid reasoning that goes contrary to the Word of God. Why would you call it stupid? Because if it ain't what God said, it's stupid. That's a fact. God's smart. He's not dumb. If I'm thinking contrary to God, that's stupid. Come on, somebody. God don't think stupid thoughts. <laughs> Tell your neighbor, my God don't think no stupid thoughts. If I'm thinking something that God doesn't think, I'm thinking a stupid. That's stupid because God don't think stupid thoughts. Can I get a better amen? But if I start thinking like God thinks, seeing the guy on the inside who I really am, come on, he's in me. I'm in him. We're one together. Hallelujah. And if I start really waking up to that reality, I'm going to start talking like it. And if I start talking like it, my words are going to, obviously, clearly what Scripture teaches, James 3, my words are going to begin to bring that to pass. Can I get a better amen? You can't bring out of a non-believer a life that's not in there. So this isn't mind over matter. Positive thinking can help even a non-believer to a degree, but they can't walk in what God walks in. Why? They aren't born again. You can't do this in the relationship to a non-believer that they can walk like God walks because guess what? They don't have God in them. 
So this isn't mind over matter. This is learning who you are and bringing that person out. Lifting the veil. Allowing him to shine through. And if you live like God, are you going to be afraid of anything? Lord, no. Are you going to be fearful of anything that comes down on the planet? No. So you got to begin to do what? Verse 1, you got to begin to see things the way God does. Verse 2, how do you do that? You set your mind on things above. So you don't set your mind on things of the earth. You don't set your mind on the things of the world. Come on, somebody. I chased a bull riding dream of being a world champion for years. I thank God that he interrupted that dream. I thank God every day he interrupted that dream. Because little did I know, of course, I, I was chasing that before I was born again. But little did I know that I, obviously getting that dream fulfilled would not have fulfilled me. I'll say it again. Getting that dream fulfilled would not have fulfilled me. Why? I'd still been incomplete. A gold buckle doesn't complete you. A world title doesn't complete you. A good friend of mine who was a world champion bull rider who pursued it, went after it with everything within him and got it and actually even compromised on some things he did in his life to get there, to be able to get that buckle, to go to every road he went to and won that buckle, said, the moment they put that buckle in my hands and I stepped off of that podium, I felt as empty as I could have ever felt. And I thought I would feel so fulfilled and gratified and I felt actually the opposite. See, the, the ploy of the enemy is to always get you attracted to the things of the world and say, come on, come on, come on. And see, all of a sudden when you step off of that platform and now that feeling is gone, guess what you got to do? Go after it again. And I'm here to tell you, the moment you step off that platform, you're not the world champion anymore. The new year actually has already started in the rodeo world before that event ever even took place. So you're already being chased after and chasing after that thing again. So you got to understand something. Verse 2, you're not set your mind on things of the earth. Verse 3, why? Because you died. Say, I died. Notice this. Underline it. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. That is so powerful. Get that. Underline it. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. What does that mean? What does that mean, my life is hidden with Christ in God? The new life, the new you, it's hidden. It's all, you can't see it because it's on the inside of you. Come on. Christ in me, the hope of glory. The life I now live, I live by faith in Him. You can't see Him, but He's in me. I'm one with Him. The Bible said so. So where is this new life God wants you to live? It's hidden on the inside. And what we're trying to do is get it unhidden. We're trying to get you to see it and bring it out. Can I get a better amen? Watch this, verse 4. When Christ, who is our life, appears, who's our life? Christ is. What is our life about? Him. When Christ, who is, who is our life, appears, then we also will appear with him, what? In glory. glory. I'm about the rapture. When he comes back, when he appears, we're going to appear with him in the same glory. Verse 5, therefore, what should we do until that time? Put to death your members. Put to death the outward members on the earth, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. How do I do that? How do I put to death all those, those parts of that old nature? I'll tell you how. Renew your mind. That's how. You don't try to stop doing them in the natural. You renew your mind. Renew your mind to the guy on the inside. Guess what? You start recognizing none of those are the new man. None of those are the new man. When I read about the new man who I now am, I don't see any of those descriptions about that relating to my new man. That's not who I am. I'm not a fornicator anymore. I'm not unclean anymore. Come on. I don't have a passion or an evil, for evil desire anymore. I'm not covetousness anymore. Why? I'm a new man. 
Verse 6, because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience who have rejected Christ, in which you all, yourselves once also did what you walked in it, uh, walked when you lived in them. Verse 8, but now you yourselves are to put off all these anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you put off the old man in what? His deeds, his Actions. Notice that. Do not lie to one another since you've done what? Put off the old man and his deeds. Put off the old man and guess what will follow? His deeds. Because you're renovating. You start pulling off the old and you start putting up the new and those old deeds go away. You listening? Ten. And you've now put on what? The new man. Notice who is, underline it, renewed in the knowledge according to... To the image of him who created him. Verse 9. You put off the old man. Say put off the old. So you got to do what? Number one, we already gave you this. Number one, you got to deconstruct or do what? You got to get rid of the old way of thinking. But how do you do that? By looking, verse 10, to the new man, the image of Christ that's in you. You do this by becoming renewed to the knowledge. Knowledge according to the image of him who created him. The image of God who created us where there is neither Greek nor Jew, un, uh, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free, but Christ is all in all. What's that mean? That means it doesn't matter your background, doesn't matter how you were raised, doesn't matter who your parents were, doesn't matter whether you had good parents. Doesn't matter where you were I was raised on those side tracks. Well, guess what? It don't matter what side of the tracks you were raised on. It makes no difference once you become a new person in Christ Guess what you can do? Put off the old life and put on the new. But to put on the new, I got to do what? I got to put on the old. But number one, should have gotten this last week. Number one, Sunday night we talked about it. What must I do? Deconstruction. I put off the old man, listen, by seeing the image of the new. I got to get renewed to the knowledge of this new image of Christ in me. I've got to go to the Word and I've got to begin to renew my mind to who I now am by looking at Jesus, looking at His image, looking at... Hey, how about all the Scriptures in Romans all the way through Revelation that says, In Him, in Christ, in whom... It's talking about you and Him, who you are. See, these are all part of that new image. So let's go back to our example of the DIY thing. How do we know, obviously, what needs to come down and what's going to be replaced? You've got a new image. You've got a plan. You actually laid out a plan. This is what the bathroom is going to look like. This is what the bedroom is going to look like. This is what the kitchen is going to look like. Here's the countertop. Here's what the cabinets are going to look like. Here's what the color is going to look like. Come on, somebody. Here's where that door is going to be now. Here's where that entryway is going to be now. We're going to take this wall out. That's going to be gone. So it's all based on what? A new image. You can't get rid of the old man without looking at what? Who the new one is. So number one, you need to live in the Word of God. And that's why we say primarily the New Testament. Because where are you going to see this image of Christ? In the New Testament. Doesn't mean don't read the old, but you read the old in light of the new. Because if you see yourself for who you are in God, there's things in that Old Testament that people get confused about. It was a whole different covenant. Yes, it's there for us to learn from. There's a lot of stuff we glean from the Old Testament. But we're talking about renewing our minds here to the new image. Where are you going to find that new image primarily? In the New Testament. The Gospels, seeing what Jesus did. Right? As well as the books to the church. Romans to Revelation. Now who we are in Christ. If all you had was the Gospels, you wouldn't really know who you are. 
Because from Romans all the way to Revelation, there are hundreds. We've got them. There's like 133. We've got the sheet back here somewhere. Like 133 Bible references in the New Testament to you, to who you are in Christ. But guess what? What if you don't ever go and look at them? You don't get to see the image. If you don't see the image, guess what you don't realize? That's wrong to think that way. Come on, it's wrong to think that way. It's wrong to see myself like that. How do I know? Because I see the new image. And if I see the new image, I realize that's not me. So one, you put off the old man hell by seeing the new image through the word of God. Go to James 1. Don't worry, that wasn't all review. James chapter 1. Hallelujah. I said hallelujah. We get back in our last day survival guide study tonight. Guess what tonight's on? On fire for God. We need to be on fire for God. Amen. James chapter 1. So number one, for us to have our mind fully renewed, what must we do? We have to get rid of the old man by how? Seeing the new. Seeing the new. If you're not going to take time, listen, if you're going to sit here and let me preach to you about thinking like God and you won't take time to live in the Bible, don't think this is going to work. Because there's no way you're going to know who that new image is. But if you live in the Bible, you live in the New Testament, you learn about who you are in Christ, I guarantee you what, see, now when the devil comes along with these thoughts, how many understand this? Every thought you ever have about yourself, contrary to the Word of God, didn't come from you. The devil wants you to claim those thoughts because he, he wants to make you think that's you. You listening? Well, I'm a nobody. I'm worthless. Let me help you. That thought didn't come from you because you are a spirit made in the image and the likeness of God. Guess what your spirit never had a thought of? I'm a nobody. Guess what your spirit never had a thought of? I'm a failure. Your spirit never thought that. You know why? Because it's one with God. See, the devil wants to make you think that these are your thoughts because if he can, he can get you to identify with them. But you got to realize a lot of people who battle with thoughts will tell you why they do because they don't know who they are. And therefore, they accept these thoughts as who they are and they think they actually thought them. But you didn't. Now, it might have come out of your brain programmed in there, but guess where it ultimately came from? Satan. Wasn't your thought. You're a spirit. You're not a soul. You're not a brain. Come on, you're not a mind, you're not a will, you're not emotions. You don't realize how valuable these truths are to learn, and many churches never get to hear them. That ain't a credit to me, that's a credit to my spiritual fathers who have taught me well. But you got to understand this, and a lot of people don't get it. A lot of people battle with thoughts, I'm going to tell you why, because you don't realize they're not yours. You didn't hear me. Listen, hard, listen carefully. A lot of people battle with thoughts, and I'll tell you why, because they think they're their thoughts. But they're not. If it doesn't go in line with the image of who you are, that thought didn't come from you. You're a spirit. It didn't come from you. That came from the devil. It might have been conditioned and still rotating around in your brain as something you got to get rid of. But that thought ain't ultimately yours. That's the devil's thought. And that's why you got to get rid of thoughts that aren't obviously in line with who you are. But you can't do that without knowing who God says you are. You can't do that without living in the Bible. How many know living in the Bible causes you to live like God? If you renew your mind to that image. Not a religion. Well, I know people living in the Bible didn't look nothing like God. That's because they didn't know who they were. They weren't studying it to know who they were. They were studying it to try to prove to everybody, look how holy I am. You don't prove how holy you are by what you do. You prove how holy you are by knowing who you are. 
If you know who you are, it's going to make you live a life set apart to God because you know who you are. When you recognize, guess what, I'm a spirit, and a spirit has nothing to do with looking at anything that I should not put my eyes on, then guess what I start doing? I turn away. Are you listening? When I start realizing that's not who I am, that's not what I look at, that's not what I listen to, that's not what I say, that's not what I do, because that's not the image of the new me on the inside. I'm serious. I wish I could somehow open you up to understand this. If you don't see who really is on the inside of you, you'll never transform your life on the outside. Everything you ever think about yourself that doesn't line up with the Bible didn't come from you. You should literally now recognize who the one is that's messing with you. All right, Dale. See, listen, when a symptom tries to attack my body, last night symptoms tried to attack my body, I said, no, you don't, devil. I said, let me tell you something. You're not the Lord over me. Disease is not the Lord over me. Sickness is not the Lord over me. Jesus is my Lord. He's my Lord. He's my physician. I don't accept these symptoms, and nor, nor will I permit you to have them Lord over me because that's not who I am. I'm a child of God. I'm one with Jesus. I'm born again. I've been redeemed. My body's been healed. Now, I command you to go in Jesus' name because you're trespassing. This property belongs to God. It ain't yours. It's God's property. See, a lot of people don't do that because guess what? They begin to accept the thought, I guess this is what I need to have or guess I'm going to have to go through this or guess i got to deal with it. No, you don't. If that's not the image of what the Bible says. Tell somebody, not all the thoughts you think are yours. Whose thoughts do we want to think? God's thoughts. Right? James chapter 1, are you there? Verse 21. Therefore, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness. This would just be the nature of that old fallen man. The old Adamic nature. Lay it aside. How do we do that? Here's how. By receiving with meekness the implanted word which is able, underline this, to save your souls. The soul here is not the spirit. James is writing to believers. This is written to brethren. Verse 2, my brethren. Who's he writing to? Believers. He just told believers that you've got to receive the word to save your soul. Your soul's not saved. Delivered is another word. Your soul's not delivered from wrong thoughts when you first get born again. You've got to deliver it from wrong thoughts. You got to get delivered from thinking such stuff. You still with me? How do I lay aside filthiness and overflow wickedness? I receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able. Say it's able. It doesn't mean it's automatic because you got to do what? Receive the word with meekness. It is able. The word is able to do what? Save your soul. 22, but be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving who? That would not be good. If you're deceiving yourself, Satan don't need any help. Are you listening? Now, your spirit's not deceiving yourself. The old nature is. The old you. There are two natures within you. But the real you is the spirit man. The old fleshly nature is not who you really are. He tries to convince you that that is, but that's not true. Watch this. He says, verse 22, Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone, notice this, if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, in other words, you've heard what God says about you, you've heard therefore what God says about how you should live in relationship to that person, but you don't do it. 
You don't do it. You don't go live in the Bible and renew your mind. You don't do what Scripture teaches, the basics of what you should do to start walking in that new man. Well, you're like this person, verse 23, who observes his natural face in a mirror. 24, but he observes himself and then he goes away and he forgets what kind of man he was. See, the reason a lot of Christians don't walk in who they are is because they're not doers of the word. They hear it preached, but they don't apply it. They don't apply renewing of the mind. They don't apply living in the Bible to find out who this new image is. Well, if you're not going to go find out who the new image is, guess what? You're going to walk away and forget who you were after this message. Are you still here? 25, but he who looks into the perfect law of liberty. The law of liberty is God's word, which is a law, and it liberates. Truth frees you. Doesn't put you in bondage. The law of liberty. He who looks into the law of liberty, what continues in it, and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work. It is a work to do. This one will be what? What will he be? What will he be? What will he be? Now, we make the confession before we preach the word. I'm a doer of the word, therefore I'm blessed. Well, God said so. What if I'm not a doer of the word? You're not going to walk in the kind of blessed life God has for you, even though it's already been provided. Now, I'm out of time, but i got to get this second point across to you. I'm giving you keys of how to renew your mind. Number two is found over here in verse 21. So the first thing we ought to do is get this new image on the inside. How do we get the new image on the inside? Number two, you got to receive the word when you come to it with meekness. So let me say it this way. You must receive the word with absolute humility. Now, a lot of people still misunderstand what that means. I'll get more on this again next Sunday as we'll go back into our last day's study tonight, but I want you to get this. You've got to receive the Word of God with what? With meekness. Meekness is powerful. Meekness is not a weakness. Meekness has no weakness to it. Matter of fact, meekness is a word that refers to a form of powerful living. Meekness, this is a definition of it, does not exalt oneself nor belittle because it's not occupied with self at all. That's true humility. I'm going to say it again. Meekness does not exalt itself, nor does it belittle. You listening? Meekness doesn't exalt itself, nor belittle, because it's not occupied with what? Self at all. When I come to the Word of God, I'm not occupied with self. What am I occupied with? The image of Christ. Seeing who Christ is, who I'm one with. You listening? If I do, I'm going to see me. So what does meekness do? It doesn't exalt itself above who God says you are, but it don't put yourself down below who God says you are. What does meekness do? It accepts who God says I am. Period. Because I'm not focused on me. I'm focused on who He says I am. Therefore, I'm focused on Him. If I'm focused on Him, I'm accepting who He says I am. That's a powerful thing for my life. If I'm focused on me, not who He says I am. If I'm not focused on God when I come to learn and receive the image that He has for me. If I'm not focused on God, if I'm focused on me, guess what? I'm not going to agree with everything the Bible says. I'm not going to receive it with meekness. If I'm focused on me, the actual context of that, meaning the old nature, the old man. When I see what the Bible says about me and I'm focused on me, I'm going to say, well, that ain't me. You're not receiving the word with meekness. Guess what it won't do? Won't renew your mind. Guess what it won't do? It won't save your soul from that old nature. And therefore you'll keep walking in that old nature. Next Sunday I'll focus on this, but I want you to get this. Meekness means I accept God's word for what he says, period. So that actually has a twofold application. One, I accept who he says I am. I don't care what I think. 
I don't care what anybody else says about me. I don't care what you say about me. I don't care what you say about anybody. You got to just care about what God says about you. If my focus is on God, guess what I'm going to accept? What God said about me. But I'm going to focus on me when, when I hear what God says about me. Guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to say, that ain't me. Because you're looking at the old nature, not the new you. Amen? Amen. So one, I got to accept everything. Receiving the word of God with meekness is point number two about how to renew your mind. There's two parts to that. I got to receive everything the, word God, everything the word of God says about me. Number two, because I believe what his word says, I'm going to do whatever it says. I'm going to be a doer of the word. Because if God said it, that's an absolute. I'm not going to in any way try to reason it out, try to think I don't have to do that or I don't need to live that way or I'm going to live contrary to that or I'm going to do something else or do my own thing. All you're going to do is hurt your life because you're not going to walk in the new you. I have more time to spend on this next Sunday. But you've got to learn to receive the word with meekness. Meaning what? I don't exalt myself above the word. I'm not saying I'm, I'm, not saying I'm somebody who God doesn't say I am. Well, let me tell you who I am, man. I'm the great apostle. God doesn't say you're some great apostle. God says you're a servant of God. Amen. Come on, somebody. I agree with Brother Sumrall. It's sad when all these people start taking titles. Right. Now, to claim your calling is to be obedient to acknowledge what God called you to do. God did actually give a five-fold ministry calling to some people. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. Right? So obviously, if I'm going to walk in that calling, I got to acknowledge God called me to that. And I got to have leadership that knows that as well. But then all of a sudden, we start going and putting all these titles. Well, I'm Bishop so-and-so. Where did Paul or any of the disciples ever say, I'm Bishop so-and-so? Are you saying everybody claims they're a bishop? As many of these people, all of a sudden, they start exalting themselves above everybody else because they start putting titles on themselves that the Bible didn't give you. There's no bishop title. The Bible talks about living like a... But if you look up the word bishop, it means an overseer, one who lives as an example to others. That's what it means, right? The only context of what I'm supposed to receive in fivefold ministries is acknowledgement by God is, am I an apostle and do other leaders know it? If I am, I'm going to fulfill my call. I'm going to be obedient to that call. If I don't know I'm an apostle, how would I know what to fulfill? Right? Right? If I don't know I'm an evangelist and I have leadership that would confirm that with me and let me know that's true and that I have to acknowledge that I am an evangelist or how would I fill my call as an evangelist? Or a pastor or a teacher or a prophet. So understand we're not talking about, there's a lot of people running around, I'm prophet so-and-so, prophet of so-and-so. First of all, you don't have to run around and tell everybody what you are. Right? Right? Just go fulfill your call. Just go do what God called you to do. But when people start taking titles, I like like Brother Hagin said, there's nothing wrong with saying, you know, in the context of acknowledging study and development. And, but, you know, even Pastor Barclay, he doesn't go around and say, I'm Dr. Mark T. Barclay. You know what he says? I'm Mark Barclay. Yes. I am a prophet and I am a pastor called to this generation to speak God's word and to enlighten people to the truth. Amen. Nothing wrong with that. But you don't run around, oh, I'm Dr. Mark T. Barclay. Who do you think you're talking to? He don't do that. I guarantee a lot of these people go around claiming all the doctors. I like what Brother Hagin said. If you know these people say this stuff and always focused on their titles and not really walking out who they are in Christ, just the title. If you look at the end of their context of their name, they'll put somewhere on their documentation like PhD, right? I have a PhD in theology or whatever. You can't find that on any of Pastor Barclay's literature information. 
I like what Brother Hagin said. He said, for some of these people, I think it means post hole digger. Because that's about how smart they are. Now, they're not all post hole diggers, but you know what I'm talking about? That they think there's somebody really smart. You don't have to be really smart to dig a post hole. You've got to be strong. Have some stamina. I've dug some post holes. Let me help you. Joshua's helped me dig some post holes. We dug two with, you know, out on the property to put a sign up with one of those powered things. You know, the two of us holding on that. My gosh, it's like grabbing a hold of bull by the horns. You know, he got him on one side and I got him on the other. You know, <laughs> we've dug, dug some post holes. So I'm just here to help you understand something. We don't take titles. We don't exalt ourselves above who God says we are. But don't demean yourself. Most Christians don't exalt themselves. They demean themselves. They talk down themselves. They talk, bel they talk belittling of themselves. Well, guess what you're really doing? You're talking belittling of God because you're one with Him. I know you're not doing it intentionally, but you are because guess what? You're one spirit with the Lord. Say, I got to receive the Word of God with meekness. If you don't receive it with meekness, guess what you're not going to do? You're not going to get to see that new image. You're not going to see your soul saved. You're not going to see your life change and transform because your mind really won't be renewed. Any amens on that? Praise God. Well, let's close up shop this morning. Praise the Lord. We pray that you are blessed by the message Pastor Baker shared with you today. For more spiritual resources that can help you in your walk with God, or to invite Pastor Baker as a guest speaker, just go to our website at cffchurch.com. You will find additional teachings by video, audio, and printed resources that will be a blessing to you. May God's very best be yours.